Hello, welcome to the Living Open podcast for mystics and seekers. I'm your host, Erin. I'm a Philly-based healing artist, and this is a podcast to support your healing journey. Hello, my friends. Welcome to another episode of the Living Open podcast on haiku, creative magic, and expansive tarot learnings with Tara Burke. Tara has been on the podcast before. You might recognize the name. I had them and Sanyo Estelle on the podcast together last year, I believe, and we talked a ton about dream work and their program Dreamscapes, which I did in 2020, I think. Um, So I'll link that episode in the show notes in the description if you want to give that one a listen as well. And I'll just share a little bit more about Tara. So Tara uses they them pronouns. They're a biracial, non-binary Japanese mystic who leans deeply into the wisdom of elemental magic and metaphor to connect. They are claircognizant, clairsentient, and clairaudient. They have in relationships to these gifts through a lens of neurodivergence and recognizing so much of the way they live their life is through a lens across timelines. They root their personal folklore and mythological senses through seasonal folklore rooted in both Gaelic and Shinto-based cosmologies where they track ancestral veneration, lineage tracking, and understanding the complexity, nuance, and particularities of being mixed race, Irish, Slavic, and Japanese descent. They deeply credit the work of folks like Jade T. Perry, Laura Blakeman, Aquarian Witch Connie Bender, Octavia Butler, Audre Lorde, Joelle Gomez, Mary Oliver, Grace Lee Boggs, and Ursula K. Le Guin as offering them to see worlds beyond the ones we're living in and seeing new futures through their knowing that something exists beyond our scope of current lived realities. Their full bio is in the blog, also link in the description if you want to learn more about Tara. And let me tell you what we talked about. We talked about the invitation of the lovers for our collective lovers year, Tara's experience with their cards of the year of 2021, cringe in quotes, tarot cards, (laughs) the different energies of the death and tower cards, the too much archetype, structure that creates ease and flexibility, Capricorn and Aquarius season energies, unpacking our whys, haiku creative magic, words and prayers as spells, creative expression, spirituality and dreams, and healing with dreams, and a bunch more. This was just a really expansive conversation where we get into so much around spirituality and tarot and archetype and creativity and it's really gorgeous and I think I say this in the conversation but it's been a long time I feel like since I've had a really expansive tarot conversation on the podcast so it was really cool to have this conversation with Tara. A couple of things before I get into the interview. I have an exciting announcement and I'm just gonna let you know right now which is my first poetry collection is going to be coming out. My tentative plan is for it to open for pre-orders around March 1st, so stay tuned. I'm very excited for it. It's called Moonsign. I wrote it in 2020 and last year as well, and it's been a process of editing and refining and working on the cover art with my partner who made the whole cover art and I just like talked about what I wanted, (laughs) etc. and all the things that go into making a book. Um, But I think this past year has been such a year of exploration and healing and poetry writing and creative expression that it feels so good to turn that into a collection of poems that is so much about death and rebirth and about queerness and love and I'm really excited to share these poems with you all and since we talk about haiku in this episode um, and creative magic it feels like a good episode to make that announcement Um, so yeah stay tuned nothing to do right now but I'll let you know when pre-orders are around and with that here's my conversation with Tara I wanted to start by hearing about your experience this year with your card of the year personally and like maybe also our collective card of the year and any reflections or musings you have on those cards. Yeah. Thank you for that question. 
And it's just so mm-hmm. good to see you. It's always so nice to come into a space as we're like winding down or as we're slowing down. At least that's what it feels like to me. The like great collective exhale that we're all taking together. Um, and if you're not taking that, giving you like full invitation to maybe take one of those full inhales right now and full exhales. Yeah. Yeah, I, you know, these, the cards of the year, right? Um, which we numerically connect through, you know, the Gregorian calendar. And so 2022 brings us at the lovers. And, you know, interestingly enough, that is also what I call my soul card. Um, that's determined by my birthday, which is 1214-1987. Hello, 34. <laughs> I'm not sure if I'm ready for you, but we're fucking doing it anyway. So here I am. Um And the invitation I feel in that card of the lovers, uh, the invitation for me, right, in the way that I read it as a reader, is one that it goes beyond binary. And I think it's a really beautiful opportunity for us to look beyond some of the traditional um, iconography and imagery within this card. Uh, to see what our relationship is in divine reflection. So outside of these meat suits, (laughs) we are these kind of spiritual vessels and both rooted in the ground, both rooted in physical things that's represented by some of the images in the card, and yet in reflected to the stars, to angelic realms, to celestial spaces, to ancestral care. And so what is our relationship to divinity? That's always what I ask folks. And sometimes for folks, that's what's their relationship to a higher power or spirit or the universe. I don't really try to give folks those definitions, but really that connection to the divine, like where is your source of center, right? Where do you kind of find an an arc or connection and a movement uh, towards that? And again, having this card, the lovers for my birthday card, I was just telling Aaron before we started recording was like always challenging because I was not really fully modeled. And again, it's not my parents' fault, but just the ways of like loving myself fully, being able to like give love supportively, right? I came from a very like emotionally detached family structure. And so like, love hard like tough love was like definitely all about that was ringing true in my home and i don't know for midwesterners out there but like poking fun and like making fun and like essentially like shaming people playfully was like a love language and it still (laughs) is um and so there's this ebb and flow of like not taking life too seriously, but also lacking sincerity sincerity when talking about love, right? And so that was always just like a hit for me. And so I always, in some ways, younger, like did not like this card for me. And I'm slowly, I'm just like slowly coming back to it in moments. Um, and, you know, I was going through and looking at my cards of this year, right? And I had the, de- I had the death card and I had the emperor card. Those were connected through, you know, my date of birth for this year. So 12-14-2021, right? And it's done through numerology. I usually add good old-fashioned and paper addition. And then I break down the numbers um, anywhere between the range of 1 and 22, right? The range of the major arcana. And I was just telling Aaron, I track usually just one for clients. Usually just one and depending on where their journey is and their relationship to the, the fool and to the fool's journey, I would track a singular number, which for me was the emperor, or I would actually go up um, as if also we are evolving, adapting, changing, and shifting. And so our journey with the fool is, right? So I'm noticing that's like a new practice I'm kind of taking on and embodying in my work. And so death was the other card that I held. So the emperor and death four and 13. I have so many different things to say about both of those cards in this moment. I'll keep it a little bit brief, but the structures 
in which I had related to in some work and relationships and care, um, you know, fell apart. They died. And like moving gracefully with death is such a wisdom teaching. And I, you know, really love Ash. Shout out to Ash of Sovereign Roots. Um, And I just, I love them. I love him because the relationship to death as such this generative nourishing cycle, right? Not without pain, not without still some movements of what could feel jarring, right? To personhood, to placehood, to identity. And yet I feel like more <laughs> excited than ever to like really inform myself in sacred structure. And what I mean that I mean, what my relationship is to my autonomy in my work, what my relationship is to these gorgeous projects I'm excited to seed and create with and feeling affirmed in that, i.e. it's feeling reflected to me. I'm seeing messages or signs that are like, yeah, you're fucking, this is, this is good stuff. Mm. Um, so yeah, that's what I'll say about that for both, you know, 2022 as well as, you know, my 2021 and, you know, loving what 2022 for me and my cards brings. I have the Hierophant and the Temperance card and as a Sag, Temperance is, is my card. So um, I'll kind of leave that there because I'm not in 2022 yet. I can't time travel quite yet. We might be time traveling. <laughs> we'll be time traveling when this episode is released. So I like, could definitely muse on that. We probably will later in the episode, but Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. <laughs> I feel like it's been a little bit since I've had like a really expansive conversation about tarot. I don't know why, um, but it feels really nice to hear you musing on your cards and it's making me think about my cards of the year. And this was a tower year for me slash chariot year. And the chariot is my birth card, soul card. Um, and nothing feels more true than those cards being my cards of the like <laughs> a thousand percent those like my cards couldn't have been anything else and it's so interesting it has me wondering if like this is going to be a cycle that happens for me of like when I have a year that's a tower year or a chariot year that it's such a huge year that moves me more towards myself in these like really intense ways like there was so much that happened and so much that was destroyed and so much that was reborn all into more of myself. And it was amazing and it was really hard, um, but it was quite a year. And I'm wondering if that's going to be like a pattern that I experience when I have one of those cards in, in the year. So I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> yeah. It's been, you know, those cards, right? The tower, the three of swords, one could say they're lovingly called cringe cards. You know, one could have their relationship to cringe in so many ways. Sometimes you can cringe so good. Um, and I always love the ability to see the tower because one, it's kind of like what happens after the storms fall, as well as it's also somewhat premeditated, like the calm before the storm. It's like telling you that um, a disruption is is about to happen, is about to occur. And then it shows the act of the disruption and really in many ways like, like the rubble. So for me, the tower is about like what's in the rubble after all has been destroyed, right? After the ashes have fallen down, like where, what's in the rubble? Like what still remains, right? What still remains intact? What's rising, right? From the ashes. Like I always have such Phoenix archetypal spaces when I think of the tower as that kind of archetypal wind fall of the Phoenix. Um, those are delicious. And I always, of course, like the chariot card as the vessel, you know, the vessel in which the tower transforms through mm -hmm. is such a beautiful thing. Um, yeah, the art of transition, you know, having that as your card, it really allows you to apprentice in many ways and also become a wisdom teacher to what people's relationships are to transition, mm -hmm. right? I was just mentioning before, like our wounds are sometimes like our greatest gifts. And so for me, I always feel like our soul card, you know, mine is the lovers, Aaron's the chariot, has both, right? Like our wins, 
like things that like we really shine in, but it also like really carries some of the our wounding, right? And I'm saying wound in the kind of sense more than like a depth psychology framing, you know, people can equate what their relationship is to wounds. Um, for me, my relationship stands is it's something that never goes away. It can be tended to, it can be dressed, it can be cared. Um, but I'm not interested in like healing my wound. I'm interested in holding a part of my wound, part of me that has been strung out across the way uh, that needs to return. So, yeah, I love that. Thank you for sharing. Those cards are like having a tower year. I'm like, oh, okay. So like full disruption, change of job, maybe change of partnership, maybe change of home, maybe change of uh, spiritual care practice. Mm -hmm. so many huge changes I think it's so interesting too because your card as or one of your cards as death and mine as tower like they're both cards that bring that kind of like transition and things changing and things falling apart but they feel really different too like I don't know something about death feels more like how we move into fall and winter and it's like a natural shedding and tower feels more like chaotic in a way it's like ah! <laughs> and less of like a shedding or falling away and more of like yeah I think you use the word disruption like it feels more chaotic and rebel and ash and all of that yeah but both needed in different ways you mentioned structure too and we were talking a little bit before about seasonality and relationship to cycles and seasonality and structure and responsibility. And I'm wondering if there's anything that you want to share around that now. Yeah. Um, I used to slash sometimes still loathe structure. <laughs> I'm not great with authority. I'm not being, I'm not very good of being told what to do. Um, I've danced in kind of traditional, you know, wage labor jobs of um, supervisors like telling me I'm too much. Like that whole trope oof, has been uh, something I have had to kind of like step away from. So shout out to all the folks um, who've like flown really beautiful, gorgeous middle fingers to like the too much archetype. Um, too much, too intense, too loud. I could like so go on and it's it's so beautiful as I entered, you know, post Saturn returns, right? I had Saturn in Capricorn, many of folks, you know, are in the generation of Saturn in Aquarius. Like my relationship to structure was like if you don't fucking figure it out, like you're going to just like continue to spiral into these moments of of doubt, right? And so what needed to happen for me is to like rebuild that relationship to my responsibility to myself to create more ease. Like there was something that I'm relearning and reframing specifically within running um, spiritual care work and offering both one-on-one -on -one and work with dreamscapes is like, what is my relationship to structure that actually creates ease and flexibility? It helps me learn when to ask for help, um, when to receive help, when to offer help, right? And so then it's also informing my ability to connect collectively, right? And we, we hear that word collective care, collective care, right? So much of me like loves using those words. And it's not just because I love using it. It's because I live in my daily life. It is not like a word that is used in the like I don't know. I don't know how long Instagram captions are. I was gonna say like two hundred fifty words, but I think they're longer than that. Because um, I write such long captions for folks that are like, "Oh, short cap." I'm like, "Yeah, that's not me." And I'm, you know, I'm being in a better relationship to that as well. Um, so, but the thought of it, or and the thought of it, you know, so much even with, you know, New Year's, right? New Year's, new resolutions. We have to goals and outcomes right so much for me comes down to impact like which is interesting because those are actually also very connective words towards mm -hmm. the tower impact mm -hmm. yeah and death right so i want to just what i want to focus on right is like we can be intentional we can set intentions the cycles of the seasons like for myself following kind of the wheel calendar of the year um through the sabbaths which um, can be Gaelic in nature. Some could say it could be Indo-European. Um, 
some things maybe druidic, uh, however you want to connect, right, to those those cycles of seasons. And by the Sabbaths, I mean, you know, these markers, right? So we just celebrated Yule. Imbolc will kind of be the next uh, kind of rite that we experience, you know, on February 1st um, or Condomas, however you want to kind of move into it. And beginning to stoke that connection and tracking that time, right? So that means I have about a couple months to inform myself like where my relationship is to the intentions that I've set. And then really not just the relationships, the intention, but where that's the impact. So much for me is centered at the why. Mm -hmm. Like if I don't know why I'm doing a thing, which is half the reason my issue with fucking authority, because they'd be like telling me and I'd be like, well, why the fuck? Why am I doing this thing? This doesn't make any actual like what? And so there's that relationship to impact. So I can set really great intentions, right? I can call things in. And if I don't know why I'm calling them in in the first place, or I don't know why, or where is the why at the center of that calling, right? Which can be, you know, in relationship to spiritual practice, to what your lineage practice is, to how you're cultivating kind of spiritual citation, reciprocity, self-study, 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 the discipline to that. I repeat those things because there's a part of me that feels in a world in which we are both in linear time and also in no time. Some folks can think that just like instantaneous things can happen, right? We can pick up a deck, we can read a deck, and then all of a sudden we're monetizing. Or the shift of always having to monetize our hobbies, right? I'm noticing that conversation coming up again. People are unable to just like fucking do what they like because late stage capitalism is like, well, can you make money? <laughs> yeah. It's like, and that's not the, and that's not the impact. Like the impact is not for this like monetization, right? The impact is for joy, the impact mm -hmm. for helping community, the impacts for seeing a friend laugh, right? So, and that's not necessarily quantifiable. So that's my little riff on just like cycles and seasons. And, you know, whenever this airs, we'll be moving into or moving out of and towards, right? Within Capricorn season, and we'll probably be moving in towards, I would say, Aquarius season after that. And so there's these like layers of what we're setting in line for impact within the hearth, right? Not necessarily needing to do all the shit all the time, exactly when it needs to be done. But we're asking ourselves the why, and then we're forming into the how. And Aquarius season also invites me into, and then how is that reflected in collective? For mm -hmm. me, I always think that Aquariuses are like sacred rebels. They're innovative. They like move from places of innovation. Like they want to see a new way of being or the continuation of reclaiming something old that's been lost. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah. Yeah. That's such an inspiring energy. And what you say about why resonates so much. I grew up in a family that with parents who love to do the, because I said so thing and like, you don't need to know. So I'm not going to tell you when I was always asking why, because I feel exactly the same. I'm like, if I don't understand why I'm not going to do it. <laughs> and it feels really confusing for me. And when we're rooting into like what the whys are, then we can actually understand where we're coming from because I don't know it's like things can look the same on the outside but have wildly different whys behind them and like I want to be clear about what my why is because there are some whys I'm okay with and that's beautiful and there are some whys I'm like oh I'm actually I am not okay with that and I need to sit with that more and work with that like usually it's a weird ego thing or something and I'm like I don't want to move from that place and I need to like figure out what's really going on with that so yeah, I think the why is so powerful. Yeah, and I appreciate you saying that too because like our whys can also change. And I think that's the importance if there's like anything that marks this time for me as we're in the in-between, you know, you know, on to as we're kind of dreaming into the future because uh, it'll be 2022 when this airs. And the beautiful component to the why is that it can be cyclical in nature. 
Like if we are asking ourselves why, as we are moving from a place of compost and decay in winter within the hemisphere that I live in for others within summer, so this will kind of flip for you. Um, it's so important to track those things. So for me, it's like when I look at those moments of decisions or cultivation or, you know, building or composting, the why kind of arcs in winter. And then the how kind of arcs between kind of one would say midwinter, right? That January, February ish. Um, and then there's kind of a, you know, what and when and in the ways of how I'm cultivating that comes in sometime in spring. And then there's this element of like, well, why not in summer because I'm like <laughs> there's less there's this carefree attitude of like allowing myself more of and one would say again I still have to give myself certain permission and I'm this is something I am super vulnerably sharing and yet also sharing for my own accountability is like I'm still learning to give myself more permission for play and more mm -hmm. permission for rest um like as a recovering um, perfectionist and I say that like with the full reckoning of like growing up in a space where like perfectionism was like was what was inspired to it was so challenging to like shift gears um and that comes from one just like growing up in a japanese american household um and never really being told like and validated for any amount of work whether or not it was good or bad work there was just like there was no validation. And so the irony is that words of the validation are like my love language now, which is just so interesting. And I also am very confident in myself and I rise in that. And which sometimes in some ways, this may reflect for my other folks, Sages or other mutable signs out there. The folks that have their shit together on the outside are also the folks that definitely need those words of validation on the inside, like all the time. Because we are often quite often perceived in that way. And I'm not trying to say those perceptions are good or bad or false or not, not living in that duality. And yet, for those of us that are always the ones that like have it together, we definitely need those like inherent friend check-ins. Mm -hmm. And I cannot thank those friends in my life enough um, who even though they know, like I'm usually like, I got it, right? You know, having done crisis work, having done triage work, having understand a lot of different ways and how to come from like a trauma informed place on the ground, like in the world. Um, I am great with those coping regulations. And yet we're all deserving of those mm -hmm. words of validation and those cares. So my tangent to coming back to the why right, mm -hmm. kind of aspiring us back to the why in this, is there was such an important way of building that as a practice. Mm -hmm. And I really want to give credit here to JT Perry, who did this wonderful tarot bridge building work um, this summer, and just wonderful, queer, black, femme, churchy mystic, like such a generative love and just such a care in my life and just such a joy. And there was a big thing around a component that they draw to is like, why are you practicing what it is you're practicing, right? What is that relationality to the practice? And so, you know, something that I wrote was just, I practice this, this being tarot, this being community dream work, i.e. dreaming in a larger group of people as opposed to one-on-one, -on -one, because I found home in myself, right? Lost in waves of assimilation, out to the abyss of second guessing. Tarot became my compass. It became everything to me in the ways in which I inform my knowledge of understanding. And so I felt that that way I could offer that to people was within that containership, right? In that chariot nature, the vessel carpentry that we have, the communal carpentry, and the understanding of that, right? Understanding that through systems, right? Systems of tarot, systems of astrology, uh, mixed method divination systems, right? Right? Systems not as inherently bad, systems that actually inform the structure of the whole, so, yeah, that was my spiral. I went off into a abyss. <laughs> if you all had tracked me, I so appreciate you. Any neurodivergent people, like, you know what? <laughs> we love you. <laughs>
Well, this bringing all this up around why makes me want to ask you something else I was thinking about before our call, which is I've been seeing you on Instagram on a haiku journey. And I think maybe you spoke about wanting to write a haiku every day. And I would just love to hear like why haikus? What's the connection for you between like creative expression and spirituality and what what's coming up for you around that? Oh, I just... <laughs> I'm so glad you asked because there's something very potent and this feels like a very beautiful spiritual practice and tool that sometimes in my spiritual cynicism, I'm like, yeah, okay, whatever, but yeah, no. And it fucking works. It's just, I like always laugh when I tell this to myself. The more that I say things out loud, right? Words as spells, we know that words as prayers, words as spells. The more I say something out loud, the more energy, the more connections, the more synchronicities gravitate towards those words. And so as I affirm them more and more into the world, like magic definitely happens. Um, and so I really wanted to just say thanks for the question. And I'm so excited to actually just talk about this because there is such a gift for me in the haiku. I really loved it. I really found myself in deep care and consideration about the haiku. Um, and actually a beloved friend who just um, is taking a pretty big hiatus from their work, but I'll definitely still link because they are incredible. And with, you know, again, without my community, like I would be uh, just alone and I don't even know what type of tower that would still be constructed and like with lots of brambles and anyway. So Alice of Life is Ceremony did this really beautiful thing. And I can even obviously share some of those, um, some of those with you, Erin. Uh, they did a lot of, uh, how can I say, like magazines, um, sub submission-based magazine spaces, and they're gorgeous. I mean, mm -hmm. Life is Ceremony, um, they're gorgeous. You can get them. They have them in both Spanish and English. Um, they center and focus on um, non-binary and femmes of, of color. And, you know, Alice is just a beautiful, amazing um, Mexican being that I just am so grateful for. And we talked about doing haiku. And so for folks that know, and they may, because they may have done it in like second grade or <laughs> when they wanted you to write about short, short form poetry, haiku is often an invitation. Um, and it's a form of poetry that was crafted and shaped through the 17th century, right? And so it has this blend of both animist cosmology. And again, animism is a word that's rooted more within the English language. And so I always ask people in their practices of place or even just within any um, tradition, lineage, ancestry, to see what the connection was for them. So in Shintoism, they have a connection to animism and they don't call it animism, right? They, it, it's called something else. But, you know, that animist cosmology and the seasonal appreciations, right? Mm -hmm. So haikus often reflect the sentence and the sentience conversation with the more than human world. And ku, like from haiku, is said to be a short sequence or a set of words um, that are equal to like a corresponding or complete thought. And then hai. Uh, is a playful, rambling, joyful, non-judgmental, non-rational. <laughs> so it's just this that. kind of fun, like short sequence that is supposed to make sense. And then like, it's playful, it's joyful, it's supposed to be nonsensical, right? And so haiku is an imprint, right, of presence on paper. For me, when I write haikus, I'm embodying all of the ways that I feel with less words because my hope is is the embodiment that the reader feels or the embodiment that I feel is is presence enough, right? So those like kind of spells on paper. And depending on how you practice as a witch, many folks know with um, with divination care, with writing sigils, with writing petitions, um, it's it's a lot of short form. They're not really long, um, at least in my experience. And also I'm like, I don't know how folks do that. Um, I think the longest stuff that I do is like the Orphic hymns for the planets, right? Which are already written for us. 
Um, but haikus became known in the 1950s. And actually, <laughs> through the Western beat generation, which is really interesting because poets adapted a lot of the craft to shape haiku writings. And so it's interesting, right? Because once again, like American beat generation is kind of using some textural kind of lineage practice. And some definitely used some really beautiful citations and like honored haiku. And some were just considered like pro prolific beat writers that were able to like talk about these things in such a nuanced way. And they were mostly like cis white men as beat generational writers. And it's just very interesting, right? Because haiku's just been present again for so long. And so again, I had to nerd out on some history because that's what I really love. And the formula again for haiku, and when I say formula, just kind of like the incantation or the process um, is a five, seven, five syllable. There's larger ones indefinitely. There's bigger ones indefinitely. Um, but there's these moments um, for me, and I'll share a couple haikus if you'd like. Um, Please, yeah. I, I know we're coming up to a moon. I believe it will be the new moon coming up here. So um, I can share a couple of those and then some as a mixed kid. Uh, so much for me, though, in writing haiku is it became another form of spell work. And it also became like another form to describe a tarot card. Mm -hmm. It also became another form to divine a dream. So at the center of my why, right, was the ancestral care and the veneration for practice. And yet I was able to connect it, right? I wasn't having to do too much. I wasn't like doing and learning a bunch of new things and needing to like, you know, figure out the next thing. I just was kind of working with these systems that I had spent a lot of time and dedication to. Um, yeah. And it's like keeping it simple, but really allowing some, com some kind of profound simplicity in that. So yeah. Thank you for asking. I am writing a haiku a day. Yeah. Uh, you're going to hear it first on the podcast, but I am planning, dreaming, setting the intention to have either and i'm sitting with this but most likely a haiku tarot deck mm. or a haiku oracle so either or of those are sitting with and so i'm just really excited um yeah it's time like poof tear it's time so <laughs> yeah. i mean hearing you talk about haiku feels like chariot again or like this connection between cancer capricorn polarity it's like the structure of it and then within that you play and you create and you ramble and you go places and also a haiku a day is like a structure within which like all of this gorgeous creativity and non-linear thinking and magic gets to flow and have space made for it's lovely <laughs> I really want to hear, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about dreams also because it's you and I can't not ask you about dream stuff and you mentioned haikus and dreams and I'm just wondering if there's anything else you want to <laughs> want to say about that because I'm intrigued. <laughs> yeah, so a practice, right? And, and um, what I always preface for folks is when I share something, it's like meant to be like used and so that's why I really want to offer like haiku is not um is not something that can be like a appropriated right it's like a form and it's a care right haiku has been co-opted which is a little bit you know like appropriation and I mentioned that with the beat generation and I also want to say like it's for everyone and I really want to say that because haiku and some connection to some amazing um black feminist writers, which I will talk about here in a moment. Again, my little history moments that I can. Um, and so I just want to honor that when I say this practice. And so a practice that I have is for folks that may already write down their dreams. Something that I would love to offer into your space is if you're already writing your dreams, first and foremost, I'm always inviting you to write your dreams in first person. And the next iteration of play with that would be to write a haiku about your dream, mm -hmm. right? We live in a way where like we put our dreams on paper and then maybe that's it. And that's sometimes enough. Like I am not in this type of 
seat to say that you need to do more all the time with your spiritual practice. I also am the full believer, and I'm saying this to myself, is you can put your healing down. That's okay. It's okay. I'm saying this because when I hear it to myself, it'll be in a moment where I need to do that, (laughs) right? Because I have walked and I have crawled and I have swayed with my healing for so long. And yet it's really beautiful in these moments where I can say that I can put it down. Um, And so just honoring those that care, right? And and what that looks like. and so what I say, why I say this is, let's say you're writing dreams, or let's say you're even doing audio with your dreams, right? There's many ways to track dreams. And I know that, you know, Aaron and I can go into that as well if we want. Um, and so one of the ways that you could track a dream is after writing it or scribing it, you could kind of sit with what has been written, right? And then you can craft a haiku from that. And now you have yet another way to honor the memory of that dream. And so I really, really like that um, because I just feel like it's, it feels really good. It feels really generative. Um, And so, yeah, what I'll say too, to haiku, um, again, so there's a few folks, right? Um, There's a very famous black man, Richard Wright, who wrote so many haikus in the later half of his life. Um, and he has essentially a book called Haiku, The Last Poems of an American Icon. And he wrote over 810 haikus, right? And so it's a pretty amazing, it's pretty fascinating. And he, re- he literally wrote kind of the, all of these haikus towards the end of his life. Um, it's also very important to actually think about with haikus is sometimes they're also translated as death poetry, because a lot of monks and folks and say and kind of wisdom teachers within Japan during the last stages of their life is when they would produce some of their most prolific haikus when they were like you know when they were they, when they knew the time on earth was coming and a next chapter was unfolding that is when they chose to do it so another beautiful again i was mentioning another beautiful amazing um black author again richard wright work is wonderful i don't know much of it and there i know there is some critique on on some of his work as well as you know it's always good for us to be have a critical yet curious at the end of the day lens on what we receive. Uh, but Zora Neale Hurston is an amazing haiku poet. Um, and, you know, among an, among an amazing just kind of black literacy icon, um, Zora Neale Hurston just comes in such beauty and wisdom, right? They were a folklore, they were an anthropologist, and they were an author. Um, and they just, yeah, they're their poems are just really, really, really beautiful. So I, again, highly recommend if folks really love Zora Neale Hurston's work, kind of track some of their work with haiku because uh, it's really beautiful. And so again, it just shows the beauty of this practice that expands across both lineages and timelines. So um, yeah, that's a little kind of note there and a note on dreaming. Uh, with haikus. And I say that because I feel with dreaming, there's so many ways to practice dreams. And so I want to honor that we can write, we can scribe, we can speak, we can dance, we can collage, we can commune, right? Folks that are really into channeling divination and those practices. And the best part, and I maybe I, the best is a strong word, but at Dreamscapes Academy, when we do this work, the beautiful part is then there's this like container of receptivity to connect with. We get to see, you know, how folks are in relationship to the dreams. And often what that does is it invokes um, other parts of dreaming for other people that they kind of didn't know was there for them. Because there's this kind of containership and there's this vessel for that reflection. Um, so yeah, shout out to Dreamscapes Academy, my beloved co-creatrix and founder, Sonia Estelle, um, and just having a sweet, sweet, sweet moment, um, to just nourish in dream time. Uh, and I also just give a lot to the hive because we're a collective of seven. <laughs> so we're fully practicing in dreaming in community and yeah, you can find all 
uh, all of us there, we are non-binary, black femmes, and indigenous women of color. Uh, and then mixed kiddos, me. And uh, it's just really beautiful. We have mutual aid and care and just wonderful support from community that honors um, sponsorships and um, mutual aid every single cohort. So yeah, that's a little kind of like offering plug, also just excitement for how one could tend dreams. So if y'all do haikus about your dreams and you send them to Aaron, I would love to see them <laughs> Please in send some them place. <laughs> I mean, I think that's so beautiful because I really think that making art from our dreams is one of the ways that we let our dreams be alive and really like be in relationship with our dreams. And I think also re-entering dreams and doing that re-entering dream work with you is another way that I connect with dreams being so alive and like going into the dream and seeing like oh there's different pieces of it I didn't access before or like it's evolving and changing in the dream like it's just so beautiful and it's such a different way to connect with a dream than like oh I go to sleep I have a dream I wake up and the dream is the set solid thing that happened but it's actually alive and we can keep connecting with it and integrating it and I just I just love that (laughs) shout out to dreamscapes academy (laughs) yeah yeah we you know again this will come out I think before this so we begin a winter cohort in February. You can find us, dreamscapesacademy.com. That has pretty much all the information and like what the flow looks like. Uh, Sanyu and I like love, love, love to shapeshift <laughs> and move mm-hmm. through dimensions. And so mm-hmm. we change, um, you know, unbeknownst to whatever rules apply to marketing, we change the look and feel of our website based on the season. So as we enter into mm-hmm. winter, right now we still have some of fall's movements, but as we enter into winter, you're going to see a full new fresh of fall. And just shout out to Vanessa mm-hmm. Marquez as we are doing um, a wonderful kind of graphics and support and Vanessa is amazing and does such amazing work with us so I just want to thank everybody else on the hive we have Onyi and Nia and Chris and Lee and it's just a pleasure so yeah yeah and I had you and Sonia on the podcast together last year I guess and I'll link to that in the description if people want to listen to that shared episode too and that episode was so much about dreams and you'll learn a lot about dreamscapes and their perspective on dreams and that's a really beautiful conversation to check out too yeah thanks for that yeah is there anywhere else you want to direct people to to find you and connect with you Sure. Um, the webs, I mean, the webs all are always spinning. And I love to think mm-hmm. of like, I love to think of textiles and spiders. So I kind of go back and forth between the two, like the textiles of threads that weave us together mm-hmm. with like just beautiful like tapestries or silk, because that's just something that feels like very ceremonial to me. Um, or the threads of spider webs, because I love spiders and I love the stories. And I always say that folks within their lineage tradition should look up stories because often most lineage traditions across time and space and place have stories of spiders. And so one could look that up for, depending on folks' wisdom traditions. Um, It's always very fun. I love mythology and folklore, so I always just say track it. yeah, where to find me. So the interwebs, I said that I'm on IG. I've just started playing around with TikTok. It's hilarious. I am an elder of TikTok, i.e. no, I haven't used TikTok for a long time. I literally like am in elder years on TikTok. Um, I'm learning. It's fun. It's like, it's what it is. I'm trying. Um, I also have a Patreon and the hearth is, is what I call that. And it's just kind of a portal. We have Zodiac playlists. Like this bitch loves a playlist. I fucking love a good playlist. So I'm here for all of the playlists. Um, and so you can find me there doing that. I actually do email tarot readings as well there. And I do kind of these ritual 
craft blogs where I just talk a lot about my work. Uh, I talk a lot about rituals and seasons. I'm actually doing one on cauldrons actually for mm. December. Um, that's happening today. And that's also where I actually have releases of my podcast, which comes out way less regularly than Aaron's, but <laughs> has a lot of deep wisdom and a lot of conversational magic. Like so much of my podcast, which is why I love your podcast, Aaron, is they're conversational. So like in an age of information saturation, it is so okay to just turn something on and like see what resonates and leave the rest, right? And come back to it. And hit pause you know it's just so important in the way that we're receiving information to not need to consume all the time so i release early podcast episodes there um, i actually do movement practices and yoga there as well and then i have this opportunity for like one-on-one -on -one mentorship sessions what does that mean well we find that out together so much of my work is um so specific and I never want to assume that someone needs to learn something that they don't actually need to learn. So, so much of that work is diving in, like I'm doing astrology with one person, working on helping support someone's course from like a spiritual business and organizational component mm -hmm. uh, in another. And another one, we talk about tarot and do rituals for the seasons, right? So they're not the mm -hmm. same. So, and I try to make that really an accessible offering. Um, I really try to make it just something that feels good, but also gives a lot of like autonomy and responsibility to the person who's like doing the one-on-one -on -one mentorship work with me um, to kind of take that responsibility and kind of move us forward. Because uh, I'm necessarily, I'm a supporter. Sure, I'm a teacher. Sure, I'm an educator. Sure, I'm a guide. And you are a teacher, an educator, a supporter, and a guide just as much as I am. And so we learn kind of more in this kind of non-hierarchical structure. So you can find that on Patreon. I know if more folks know of Patreon now, which is so wonderful. So, and then of course, uh, thewitchesmuse.com. I have a newsletter called The Lunar Letters that I'm starting to cultivate again and writing as a joy is such a, a gift. Um, and yeah, those are the places to find me. Uh, I definitely actually have DMs open. Um, I haven't made boundaries around that simply um, because I'm pretty open to sharing information. And if I make a boundary, you will know because I will be explicitly making that boundary. Um, yeah. But I'm always open. So specifically stating that if anything in this podcast felt resonant and you want to know more and you're curious, like, let's chat. We're humans. Let's have that connection, right? Mm -hmm. And in this moment, upon this airing, I have the capacity for that. So um, that may change, but in this moment, I have the capacity. So just wanting to put that out there for folks that, you know, want to get to know me and want to connect about my work more. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing and for being here. It's so nice to talk to you again. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. If you loved this episode, please do tap five stars and leave us a nice review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. I appreciate it so, so much. And it's a really lovely way to be in exchange with the show, with an indie podcast. You can check out all the links mentioned in this episode in the description, and I'll be back on Monday with an another episode. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss it and stay in touch on Instagram at E-R-Y-N-J underscore or Patreon until then.